Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Uh, it's time for parenting once again. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. Right, here's your first question. We are moving into a new area in December, uh, January, and are trying to decide if we should move our son to a local school. We do have the option to keep him where he is to see out the rest of his primary school, but this would mean commuting or staying with family, which I believe will be hard on him. Up until now, my son did not want to change and we were willing to let him make the decision as it gave him a little bit of control. We'll be moving 25 kilometres from where we are now. Therefore, keeping his current friends will become difficult. He has now expressed an interest in making the move. Moving school would help him make friends in the area. He's an only child and we work full time. The new school would also be a feeder school into the secondary school he will attend and it's easier to access. However, is it a disruption to his education? He may not make good friends and it might make his move to secondary school worse and he would miss out on finishing primary school with the kids he's grown up with. His father very much believes that he shouldn't change schools. I'm torn, but want to do whatever makes it easier for our son. Also, I don't know if I can get him a place. I mean, isn't that the starting point? You know, really, because you might be worrying and ruminating on something that actually isn't an option for you. Mm. You know, I think the first thing to do is, well, let's explore. Is there a place available before you make an offer to him that isn't possible to deliver on? The other thing here, Sean, is I don't know how old this child is other than they're still in primary school. And because of the way it's written, my inference is we're talking a fifth or sixth class student. Um, So, you know, that's relevant here because if you're talking about your son is in sixth class currently and you're looking at moving him for what is essentially a few months of school, I can kind of see the rationale with, okay, let's keep disruption to the minimum, keep him where he is to finish out school and focus on getting him into the local appropriate secondary school as best you can. I mean, I, I don't say that lightly. I know how hard it is to get into schools, but to make that your focus, but also look around your new area you're moving to for amenities, sports clubs, activities, art classes, music, whatever it is that you can get him in. And particularly when it comes to the summer between going, leaving primary and going to secondary, some camps that he is actually meeting local kids his own age through those activities. That would certainly be one option for it. But if you're thinking, look, he's in fifth class. And so you've got a full academic year plus the remainder of this year, then I think it is about making a decision with pros and cons because 25 kilometres each way every day is a really long commute. And it's not just that, like you have to factor in the distance, but the time with what will be peak traffic, the interruption, how how much of a longer day that is, not only on your child, but yourselves. And the option of, you know, him staying with family, it's great that they have that option and that's there. But this is also a single child. So be aware of what's that going to feel like in your home, that your child isn't staying with you while going to school. How will you feel about it? Never mind, how will he feel? Start yeah. with you and then wonder that out. Because I feel like this one is, 
on the balance of weighing it all up, it makes sense to move school. But there is that kind of variable of how long are we talking about here? I think you need to sit down as a family, the three of you, and each of you make and then share your list of pros and cons about this. Then, I mean, it, it, this only comes after you see if there is even a space available and, you know, it might not be available immediately. You may have to wait a few months anyway, and that might make the decision for you. But you also have to factor in the logistics. It's one thing to say, you know, one of the parents saying he shouldn't move school. That's well and good. But how are we going to make it work? You know, how are we going to physically drive him 25 kilometers each way? How do we schedule that with our full time work demands? You have to make this fit into your life as a family. So I think you've got to sit down, weigh up the pros and cons, work out the logistics, um, including the stress, not just well, I technically could do the drive. But how is that going to affect you all? If it's going to mean that by Friday you're completely strung out and stressed and exhausted, then for me, that's that's a big part of your decision making. You know, try to make this your moving house. It's already quite a disruption, Sean, you know, like the whole upheaval. And it's it is a significant enough distance away. Um, so, I mean, just try to minimize the stresses where you can, because there's an inherent stress in the moving process that you won't avoid anyway. Mm. And also, it just strikes me that. They're not really discussing whether they're, they're, they're disruption to their son. It's when the disruption happens that they're talking yeah. about. And, and if he's disrupted now, he's a better chance of making an easier transition into secondary yeah. school than if it's just he goes from the, the, the national school where he knows everyone into a secondary school where he knows no one. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it's about, you know, again, though, I could see from a parent point of view, look, if we're talking about a few months, let's let him finish out school where he mm. is and not have to start a new school for a couple of months I do, or for a few months. I do see that. But if you're talking a year plus, I think you've got to weigh all of that up because at least he would be going to a second, especially a school that's a feeder school. You know, a lot, most, if not all of those kids will all transition into secondary school together. So if that's your preferred school one way or the other, you've got to be making provision for how will he meet kids in the locality that through summer camps, sports camps, things like that, that mm. I said, you know, that I think that you're weighing up, okay, we have to do it one way or the other. You're absolutely right. It, it's going to have to be a family decision. It's not up to your son alone, though. I would emphasize that. I know he said, I don't want to move. And now he's open to moving. He absolutely has a voice in this and his opinion matters and he should be part of the discussion. But he's not the one who will be driving himself there and back every day. Yes. So it's also a parental decision. Yeah. Also, I suppose I guess sometimes this was maybe it can be, you know, if he is. If he is, as you say, in fifth class or, or sixth class, he's of an age where he realises that he's going to move to another place. And it's only 25 kilometres away, but the friends he's made there, he's probably never going to see them again. Or he has a kind of an inkling of that. And that's and that's that, hard to take on oh, board. That's really sad. And I think that's why making a decision one way or another on this is actually really important so that he, he has preparation and that you can do a nice closing piece with his school pals and, you know, mark it. Not, not in a big ceremony now, but I mean, just mark it in a celebratory have them, you know, probably outdoors the way things are at the moment, but meet up for a play or a game or arrange something so he can have a goodbye with his schoolmates if he is moving. But what you don't want is that you leave this decision so late that the decision is made over a holiday period and he doesn't go back. Mm, yeah, indeed. 
I have a 14 year old son who has a girlfriend. He visits her house to spend time with her and she visits our home too. I have spoken to my son about the fact that he's too young for sexual activity but that kissing is okay. I'm sure that was a very relaxed conversation to have. (laughs) Uh, When they are together they are very affectionate towards each other and there is no shyness regarding hugging and kissing and I've no problem with that. In fact it's nice to see. However my worry is that behind closed doors what are they doing and are they doing more? I don't want him to be sexually active at such a young age and would like him to wait until he's of legal age at least before he has sex. Any time they are together in our house or hers, I worry that they could have sex if they're in a room on their own and I don't want that for him yet. How do I manage this? Should I not allow them to be in his bedroom on their own? It seems a bit punitive to forbid it, but I'm unsure. I mean, this is, look, you've had a bit of a conversation anyway. And the reason I'm saying a bit is that you're filled with uncertainty here. So you've spoken with him and that's great, by the way. You know, you're too young for sexual activity. I'm okay with the kissing. The girlfriend can come over. So you've been clear, at least clear-ish about Mm. your limits and boundaries. And that's where you're going to stick. But what you need to do is ensure that you are clear about what did you mean by you're too young for sexual activity. Because how you've understood that and how he may have understood that, that may not line up. So I think this is about, okay, you've started a conversation. Now you're going to have to continue it and take it deeper and grow and develop it with him. Be clear with yourself. What do you need this to look and sound like in your house? Is it that the girlfriend comes over and they watch TV on the sofa in a family room, not up in a bedroom? Is it that if they are in the bedroom, the bedroom door must remain open and not closed? Mm. Is it that she's welcome in our home any time between this time and that time? She must be gone home in time for dinner or, you know, just Thursdays and Fridays towards the end of the week you know what I mean like that requires the what is it that you want this to look and sound like and then reflect that to him and you're not asking him for permission for your rules to apply you're explaining you know in positive wording she's really welcome here so happy for you that you've met someone that you like spending time with and you know it's really great that you guys can show each other how much you love and care for each other but I don't think I was very clear the first time I spoke about this here's how that looks and sounds in our family and you lay out your three to five ground rules you know and that's That's it. Now, don't forbid anything like you're not going to go up and say, I forbid you to have sex because there's no greater way to make. Really, let's see about that. (laughs) Um, So don't forbid it, but do discuss, listen, outline clearly your boundaries, like I said, and hold those in place because it is his job. He's a 14 year old to test your boundaries and it's your job to hold them gently yet firmly in place. He may say that's not fair, that's ridiculous and he's allowed to feel it's unfair and ridiculous and you don't have to explain yourself any any further in the face of that. You can simply say it may well feel unfair or ridiculous to you but these are the rules in this house and you hold that and if he says it's not like that in her house, Either you're going to have to have a conversation with her parents about what you're comfortable with for your son, or you say, well, different rules are in different houses, but I do expect you to behave in the way you do in this house, in anyone else's house as well. And you hold him accountable for his own behavior, Mm -hmm. even if this is okay. You know, I'm not okay with it. In this house, it's not okay. You must behave accordingly. And I think he might say, you're, you know, you're so out of touch, you're old fashioned, you're this, you're that. And that's okay, because he's expressing his frustration or anger. And he is, it is literally his job to push, test, 
defy, work around, creatively pester power you out of those limits and your job to say, no, that's my bottom line. I'm not moving here because there is quite a bit of flexibility here that this is a parent who's being really welcoming to the girlfriend coming in and, you know, certainly saying, look, this isn't okay, but this is, I'm not saying you can't touch each other at all. I'm not saying you can't be affectionate at all, but there is a line. I just think go back and spell out what the line is. Right. Okay. And it, it, this, because her stress at the moment seems to be you're too young. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that, is that maybe a bit too simplistic in the sense of he might think, whoa, well then the clock's ticking. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you can kind of set a, a line out. but when you're this age it's fine you know actually it's it's about talking to him about comfort and consent and you know that sex is a pleasurable experience for both people or whoever is involved in the act but it's really important that you are you know mature enough and that you're in a relationship that is mutually loving, consensual, and that everybody's happy to be doing it. And as your parent, I don't think you're there yet. So I wouldn't make it about 14. Mm. I would make it about, you know, that this is something that we grow up and into, and it's not a race or a rush, and it should always feel comfortable for both parties. Yeah, and just having simply, because I know some parents, uh, many parents, I think, do this. It's just the rule is you can go up to his room, but the door has to be open. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think the kind of rules I was running through, as kind of, not as directions now, but as examples, like watch TV and hold each other's hands or hug on the sofa in the family room. You know, that's perfectly reasonable. Upstairs in your bedroom with the door open, perfectly reasonable. And putting a boundary on when she can be there and how long for, perfectly reasonable. Like you're not putting unreasonable demands here. And I think it's about being sure, yes, that feels comfortable for me and then hold that. But have that clear in your own mind. That's why I think you, this parent has to start with, look, I've, I've told him he's too young for sex. I've told him what is and isn't okay. But what do I need it to look and sound like? Get that picture clear in your head, mm-hmm. then break that into steps that you can give to him. Ed says... The father would be better off coaching his son about condoms and STIs. They are probably going to have sex with or without their approval. Uh, Better that they do so safely. Well, I always think having an open, honest conversation about sex with your children is, regardless if it's, you know, a mom or a dad having that conversation, I actually think both parents should be able to have that because we have to teach our children. They can come to either parent, any parent, and say, look, I really need to talk to you about protection my relationship is sexual this is what we're going to be doing and I need some support I think you have to keep that door of communication open for all of those reasons and at 14 it's certainly not too early and I'm, I'm hoping it's not the beginning of that conversation but it's now you're revisiting and growing it up so you can certainly talk to him about when you are ready please come to us and talk about that we want to make sure that you and your partner are safe Mm. Uh, you can certainly do that proactively and that's always a good idea but if your message here is I don't want you having sex and here's the reasons and how then you can also frame it with but when the time is right please come to us this is something we can always talk about it's why we need to get that conversation fluent and comfortable in our own heads Sean before we go to our 14 year olds with it because if they pick up that you're awkward or uncomfortable or embarrassed all you're cueing them is oh my goodness I can't bring this to you this is horrific I can't wait for this conversation to end we have to let them know that this is demystified this is just something we speak about and we will keep speaking about it yeah uh, on the uh, subject of uh, moving school the first question that Joanna was dealing with there a few comments on that Mia says I stayed with my aunt and uncle for three years 
after we moved a similar distance from Monday to Friday for almost three years until I finished primary school, as the school was really good. I spent all holidays and weekends at home with my family and got to know the local children during those times. I absolutely treasure that time and really enjoyed the time I got to spend with my extended family. I didn't have any issue with starting secondary school either. Just mentioning this to show the outcome can be positive, though mindful that every situation is different, uh, says Mia. Though somebody else says... I moved school when I was in fourth class. I was so close to my friendship group in the first school and I never really got over the loss of those relationships. Even now, more than 30 years later, I still feel sad when I think about it and there was definitely a period when I resented my parents Mm. for that before I got a bit older and understood that they had good reasons for making the move. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it is a tricky time developmentally mm. at that age with friendships because friendships are really solidified in that middle childhood phase. Now, look at kids move secondary schools and there's a transition, but they are a little bit older by the time that comes. So, you know, all we can do is talk generally in that one because we don't really know how old that child is yeah. or for how long that arrangement would be in place. But I think that these are all variables to weigh up. One parent can't work that out for everyone in their own head, though. It has to happen as a family speaking about the pros and cons and weighing it all up together and making a, a sort of collaborative decision and making the child a part of it. But he doesn't he's not calling the shots, but he is a part of it, because I do think it's hard for kids when they feel their parents made that decision about them for them without them. Yeah, absolutely. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We do have to take a break. After that, the, the thorny issue of giving the kids junk food when you want to eat the junk food yourself. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune uh, is still with us uh, for our parenting slot. Just going back to the question about the 14 year old uh, mm. who uh, has the new girlfriend. Uh, a lot of people on uh, Twitter and uh, on the text machine uh, saying, should the, should this legal situation not be pointed out to them? Because it's obviously oh, illegal. Absolutely. And I think she has done that to be fair. Or I don't know if this is a mum or dad writing in. Actually, the parent has done that because, you know, um, the letter includes, you know, to wait until he's of legal age. And mm. that has been said to him. So, yeah, I assume that has been said. And of course, it does need to be because while this parent is motivated to protect and safeguard their son, there is a 14 year old girl um, also there. So there's two 14 year old young people so the legal issue is something that needs to be discussed but that would have to also be part of your broader conversation about sex with your teenagers you know that that has to be there we can talk about mutuality and consent and that's really important but we also have to talk about there's a reason there's a legal age for consent and you're not at it yet now also to be fair to these two kids you know we we don't want to make assumptions they may be perfectly happy in a fairly innocent teenage relationship and to be fair this is a parent saying look I just want to be clear about boundaries and that's really really important Um, but there's nothing in here that tells us these kids are having sex quite the opposite it's about kissing and holding hands and hugging yes and I don't know just to be a little cynical about it I don't think horny teenagers have ever said to each other let's stop to consider the legal ramifications of this first uh, there may be other things I mean generally not yes. there will always be an exception but generally not and I think that is the role of us adults around them is just to make again is legal ramifications are a way of saying boundaries it's about yeah. boundaries and limits the whole way around uh, but that kind of outsources it in a way to whereas you know you're trying to say to the teenager you ha- you know you you have to be aware of all the things that uh, are involved if you if you go you know if you went ahead with this 
And the key is to keep the doors of communication here open. What you don't want is that you end up that you've learned all your lines off like script and you're quoting legislation and it's become a lecture and your young person has disengaged nearly two, three sentences in. I want this to be an open conversation that you lay down your boundaries and he can challenge them, test them. He can roll his eyes. He can say it's not appropriate or he can say, God, I didn't understand that. That's really helpful. You don't know how that's going to go. The important thing is you have the conversation and then you have it again and then you have it again and you have it again to the point that it's like, please don't bring up sex with me. Yes. A few years ago, we moved from a school with a no junk food policy to a school that does have a uh, no, uh, does not have a no junk food policy. A treat is allowed in the lunch boxes every Friday, and teachers use sweet treats as prizes for different activities. The principal is very generous giving out treats on special occasions too. Now I have to include sweet treats in the weekly grocery shop to have a stash for the three kids' lunch boxes on Fridays. This is a disaster because me and my husband often eat the treats before Friday because they're in the cupboard now. I resent having to put sweets in the kids' lunch boxes when I made such efforts in the early years to offer healthy food at home. And it's really hard to get them to eat a varied lunch every day. It seems to have become an arms race for the nine and seven-year-olds. They berate me for giving them such small treats compared to their classmates, lollipops, crisps, bars of the norm. They get upset if I give them a smaller treat. I feel even if the policy changed, there's no going back now as they're so used to these treats. How would I go about highlighting this as an issue? It can't just be me. I don't want to rock the boat at the new school either, though. Oh, so it's a new school, you know, so Mm. that's also part of this because I'm just looking at it going, I mean, it's, it's unusual. I stand to be corrected very much on this, but unusual to me that there is that there isn't a no junk food policy. I thought that was quite standard in schools, but clearly not. You no, know, the um, treat on a Friday thing is, is quite okay. common. But that means the rest of the week you're not going in with sweets. Though. No, absolutely. Yeah. And and also, you know, we can call it a treat food or we can call it a once in a while food or a sometimes food. You know, there's lots of ways of describing it. But the, the, I don't even think that's the issue here, though, Sean, because it's really about this sense from a parent that's like, now I have to include the treat. Mm, I don't yeah. want to, but now I have to. And it feels like this isn't something that you signed up to that you're like, oh, okay, there's treats on Friday. Okay, so because if you were on board with it, you would have likely approached it with so we can have a treat on Friday. This is what the treat's going to be. End of. Okay, and you've also got children who are at the prime pester power negotiation Mm. age and stage of development. So when they're telling you this treat is too small, other kids have X, Y and Z. They may well have. But that is their job to keep kind of saying, how much more could we get out of this? How bigger treat could we get? Of course, they're motivated to do that. But it just sounds like when you read that out, that this is a parent who has felt coerced into this treat system Mm. by the school, by the kids, by the treats themselves sitting in the press. You know, there's just I don't want them in the house, but I have to have them here. And it's really, really hard to say zero treats when the school make use of them to reward or incentivize behavior. And look, in general, we wouldn't encourage treats to incentivize, uh, you know, as sugar foods to uh, any food to incentivize behavior because it creates that emotional link with eating. But, you know, it's very hard to be the parent who says, well, we're not doing that, even if it's allowed, we're not. But you can agree to what treats are allowed in your family. And it might be at this stage because 
it just seems to have gone a bit awry for you that you say here are three treats and we'll alternate them what will be the treat for this week that's what I'm going to buy and what will be the treat for next week and they they know in advance the Friday treat will be at whatever it is but the three things that you offer are three things that you're comfortable with giving your children yes uh, yeah. that's what's really important because otherwise you're putting something in the lunchbox that you don't want the meeting that you don't want to be giving them that hasn't been part of your family life or parenting strategies and it isn't something you've chosen but that you've almost felt well I've no choice but you do have choice within this I'm not going to say hold your line and give them nothing because I feel like that ship has sailed actually a bit mm-hmm. uh, but I do think you could put a bound I'm back talking about boundaries different kinds of boundaries now but you can put a boundary on it and as for the treats in the press and you know adults being tempted as well you know that's their own boundaries to put in place. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help but feel there was a little bit of that in this question as well. How yeah. it affected them? Um, the thing is, though, I mean that that I mean because even okay, you, you, you know, you put a line and say these are the these are the acceptable treats in this household that you can have, yeah. uh, and to the child from the child's point of view, that's more or less the same as having no treats because if if it's not up the same as everybody else uh, uh, to the child, effect. it's the same effect. What's everyone else having? I mean, yeah. you don't really know. Um, yeah. and, you know, kids are brilliant at, you know, going home and telling their, oh, this one's allowed this and this one's allowed that. And yeah. this is the time of year for those kinds of pester powers. But the other thing is, I'm just struck, this is about um, a treat is allowed in the lunchbox every Friday. OK, so what we and we have two children. So what really we need in the press are two treats per week to go into two lunchboxes on a Friday and then you can't eat them because there's only two and if you eat them you're literally taking that out of your child's lunchbox so I, I don't, don't buy a bag of mini treats if you don't want to be giving them out all week yeah I buy two things yeah yeah there's the limit you know this is what we're choosing this week and that is your treat and it's you know you get it on a Thursday and it goes in the lunchbox Friday it's not sitting in your press all week yeah, I just have a vision. These children are going into school and finding empty wrappers in the lunch box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, best of luck to them. Joanna, uh, thanks a million as ever. Uh, uh, Joanna Fortune there. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.